It's time to get chiseled with Rob Hamadari. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Chiseled. And why do we call it Chiseled? Because we're all a work in progress. Hello again. My name is Rob Kamadari. I am the host. I'm also the author of Better Than You Think. Today, I have a guest, Andrew Paul. He's from Delmar, California. He is a, and I, correct me here, Andrew, is it a former Navy SEAL or a Navy SEAL? Are you ever a former? I don't know. I suppose I would say I'm a former Navy SEAL. I'm not currently on active duty. <laughs> but but do you ever lose that status? So I was a Navy SEAL. I mean, I'm, I worked hard to get it. I'm not giving it up. That's right. That. So, so we'll say Andrew Paul is a Navy SEAL out of Delmar, California. He is a lender by trade right now. He's married to his wife of, jeez, uh, I forgot what I, <laughs> your wife's 11, name. 11 years right now. Yep. 11 I, years. I jokingly. Rob, I confused you because I jokingly said I've been married 17 years, but not all of the same woman. Like right, right. There you go. But Brooke is your wife, right? Correct. Yeah. There you go. Brooke is, they have three children. So anyway, I, I he's been in lending since 2007. And uh, Andrew Paul, welcome to our show today. And thank you, first of all, for your service. I appreciate all those years of service. And welcome to the show. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me on. So, Andrew, my first, my first question or two for you is what drew you to the military? And why a Navy SEAL? Yeah. Well, I grew up in New England. So I'm out here on the West Coast now. I've been here for a long time, but uh, you know, 20 plus years. But I grew up in a small town in New Hampshire. And everybody in my family had been in the military. My grandfather was really like the patriarch of our family. And he flew B-17s in World War II. He actually he lied about his age to enlist at 17 years old. And... I don't know the exact details of how he made the transition, but he became an officer and became a pilot. And by the time he was 21, he'd flown over 50 uh, combat air you know, bombing missions in the European theater. And uh, so, so he was kind of the patriarch of our family. My uncle was a retired master chief. Cousins were uh, pilots, CBs, submariners. So I grew up with all these military people in my family. So whenever we would get together, usually like Thanksgiving or Christmas was usually at like at our house and all these people would come over and we'd always be in like the family room watching old war movies, documentaries, and we'd all be sitting around. I'd be hearing these what we call sea stories in the military from all my family members about their time in the service. And so at a pretty young age, I kind of got it in my head that, you know, I was going to go in the military one day. I had this, so I had this, I was raised with a sense of patriotism, this idea of service, and I was attracted to that. So I wanted to go in the military. Somewhere along the line, I got in my head that I wanted to be a Navy SEAL. I think, you know, maybe I saw that movie Navy SEALs, uh, you right. know, the most realistic Navy SEAL movie ever. <laughs> uh, and, um, you know, you know so somewhere along the line, you know, it kind of starts off, you see a cool movie, you think, oh, that would be neat. And then as I got older, you know, that really matured into a calling, right? And I was pretty athletic. You know, I thought I thought, you know, the Navy SEALs were like amazing. And so I wanted to be a part of something amazing. And so that became my goal. And I had no idea just how hard it was going to be. Didn't know what it was going to take. But that began the journey when I when I was in high school. So when in high school, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. So how hard was it? You know, you had, I know you got to do all the training, but I know there's a story about your first day. I want to I want you to tell everybody about as well. So tell me about how hard the training was and tell us about your first day. Well, it's interesting. So I so I became an officer because what happened was, you know, I'm in high school. I want to be a Navy SEAL. My parents, they want me to go to college, natural desire for a parent. And, you know, we're doing this. So 
we'll go, we go start looking at colleges really. And I'm just sort of like placating my parents here. Right. And uh, so I went down and looked at Vanderbilt university and went down there, looking at that school. We went into this big auditorium and in this big auditorium, there's all these tables set up with you know, different clubs and activities and things you can do if you go to school here. Right. So I see this guy standing there in uniform and that catches my eye right away. And I make a beeline over to that. And I'm like, you know, Hey, like what club is this? You know? <laughs> and uh, this guy is standing and, and, and right there on his table is a poster of a Navy seal. And it's a classic picture. It's like the, the Navy seal is coming up over the beach. He's got the Drager rebreather on automatic weapon, laser sights, you know, fins slung over his wrist, getting ready to kill something. Right. And I'm like, okay, this club looks pretty cool. Like, what's he go? Oh, this, I go, what's this? He goes, Oh, this is ROTC. Believe it or not, I had no, no idea what ROTC was, despite having all these military family members. Uh-huh. Uh, so I learned at that moment, he says, he says, he goes, Oh, well, ROTC is, is reserve officer training corps. And what it means is if you go to school here and you go into the ROTC program, the Navy pays for you to go to school. And then afterwards you go in the Navy for four years to pay back the scholarship. And I said, and you can be a Navy SEAL through this program? And he goes, oh, yes, absolutely. Just, you know, straight up, you know, sold by the recruiter, right? Uh-huh. What I didn't know at that time, so that was it. I was in. I was like, I'm going to Vanderbilt, and I want to be in this Navy ROTC program because that's how I'm going to become a SEAL. That, that, that's how I – and what I didn't know, what he, the little detail he left out that I didn't find out until my, I guess, about my junior year in college is, is that they only take 16 guys a year from the ROTC program to go to BUDS, basic underwater demolition or SEAL training. And so in a lot of ways, it was more competitive and harder for me just to get one of those 16 slots just to have a chance to go to Coronado and go to BUDS. Now, BUDS, basic underwater demolition, SEAL training, that's, most people are familiar with that. That's where you see, you know, on the Discovery Channel, you see those guys running around with boats on their heads and carrying the logs and getting yelled at and rolling around on the beach. I was like, hey, just just give me a chance. Give me a chance to, to show you, to, to prove that I can do this. This is what I want to do. But, you know, I had one in 16 just to get a slot to go. I did get one of those slots. Obviously, um, I went to Bud's. And I I, th- I guess I shared this story with yeah. you. You know, you know, you don't know anything. So I get commissioned, right? So I'm, like, I'm an ensign. That's an 01 in the Navy. Brand new. I mean, I got nothing on my, no ribbons, no medals. I just got this little rank, brand new in the Navy, about a week, right? So I say to my ROTC instructor, I've got my orders in hand. I'm about to drive from Nashville, Tennessee, out to Coronado in my car. That's it. I'm driving out there, you know, check in on this date. Okay. And so I say to my ROTC instructor, I'm like, well, like, well, what do I wear when I, you know, when I check in? You know, do I wear my blues? Do I, you know, what uniform? You know, I have no idea. He goes, oh, you know, just... You know, this guy, he screwed me. Didn't mean to, but he goes, he goes, oh, you know, just, you know, proper civilian attire. You know, you just check in, it's administrative, and then they'll tell you where to go. I'm like, okay. So I drive in to the Naval Special Warfare Compound in Coronado. I don't know. I'm kind of asking, where do I go? They go, oh, you know, you go down there. That's Naval Special Warfare Center. I go down. I'm in my button-up shirt, and I, and I walk into the what's called the quarter deck, and I got my orders, and I'm kind of sheepishly walk in. I'm just waiting for people like climb out of them. Well, you know, I don't know what to expect, you know? And I go, Hey, I'm, I'm here to check in. Well, just my luck. One of the most sadistic instructors, <laughs> like at that time was standing there at the quarter deck. When I walk on 
And I and I and as I just said, I go, I go hey, I'm I'm here to check into buds. And he was like, like he, you know, he looks at me like, what did you say? I'm like, I'm 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 here to check into buds. And he like looks up and down like in that. <laughs> and I was like, uh, I guess I should go put my uniform on. He's like, yeah, yeah, you go put your uniform on. Crap. Go into my car. I drive down to this uh, uh, gas station. I go into the bathroom in this gas station. I'm putting my blues on, my dress blues, right? Like my dress uniform. <laughs> I drive back down there. I go in. Go back. He's waiting for me. He goes, hit the surf. Dude, I hit the surf in my full dress uniform. That means I had to run <laughs> down to the beach, drive up over the sand, you know, run up over the sand berm, dive into the water, come back, roll around in the sand and come back. My, I mean, my, the re- uniform's ruined, you know? Um, yeah, that was my, that was my check into buds. You know, he drops me down. I'm doing pushups there in my blues. Yeah. Welcome to buds, you know, pretty, pretty standard, uh, pretty standard welcoming party. So you do that. Is anybody else watching you or are you just doing, oh, you know, that's standard fare at buds. You know, I'm sure people are like, ha, you know, like <laughs> you got, you know, I, I mean, I would not say that everybody gets that kind of welcome. Um, I just, I mean, just my luck, you know, I walk into the quarterdeck in civvies and instructor Hoy, I mean, the guy, I mean, I mean, you know, years later, great guy, you know, et cetera, but he was a tough instructor and he had his fun with me. That's a great story though. Thank you for sharing that. So, so you get there, your budget, your first day now. And I, I guess right after that, did you meet the rest of the guys that you were? Uh, yeah. I mean, administratively what happens is, is you find out what class you're going to be in and, and, you know, they, they do at that time, they're doing about five, it, it shifted around over the years. And, but, at that time, they're doing about five classes a year. And so depending on when you check in, the next class might not be starting until like March 1st, right? So between then, you get into this in-between stage. And, and, and in that time, other people are starting to check in and arrive. And that class is forming up and growing in preparation of the start date for that class, the official day one of BUDS. So in the meantime, we're in this phase that they, at that time they call PTRR which is just meant to be a, it's a you, you PT, you work out every day. You're just sort of staying healthy, getting in shape, forming up the class and getting ready to actually begin day one, week one of buds, um, which started, you know, whatever, like six weeks later or something like that. So you're getting to know the guys that you're going to be training yeah, with. Absolutely. Buds. Yep. So now, so now bud starts the first day starts. Is there, is there an in, in, like intimidation factor? Is there a fear at all? Or like, Hey man, I'm in. I'm all in. I'm going to. It is excitement for me. I mean, I've been I've been waiting for this. Seems like my whole life. Okay. Um, I actually get a little choked up just now, Rob, because it's like I I had such reverence for the SEAL teams and the SEALs, and I was I was I felt just truly blessed and just humbled to even be. What on what I kind of viewed as like hallowed ground, you know? Yeah. Um, and I was finally there. It, it's, um, you know, one of my favorite movies is Rudy. Cause you know, you guys, you guys can't tell from this video, <laughs> my enormous stature, five foot seven, 155 pounds. You know, I was told my whole life I could never be a Navy SEAL. So, I mean, I really very much um, my whole life also just um, connected with the movie Rudy. Right. Yeah. I mean, I had many people tell me along the way that I could never be a Navy SEAL. I mean, look, high school, man, high school can be cruel. I mean, the last thing you do in high school is tell somebody you're going to be a Navy SEAL. And they're like, ha ha. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, so um, I mean, the typical stuff like whatever, you'll never be a Navy SEAL to yeah. 
even well-meaning mentors, you know, people who cared about me in my life. I had a guy pull me aside who I worked for. And again, this guy cared about me. So think about this. Think about, think about in your life, if you're going for a goal, you're trying to accomplish something, you know, we have some things we say to ourselves, which is, which is bad enough. We certainly have people around us, naysayers. If we're lucky, we have somebody encouraging us. But most of the time, we've got naysayers saying, people saying, well, it'll never work. And, so, and a lot of times, we're the, we're the worst to ourselves yeah. on that stuff, right? Now, I was not, okay? I've got a pretty strong internal, internal dialogue. But, so, but I had a guy who, again, this is a guy that I trusted, that I looked up to, who, who genuinely cared about me. And he pulled me aside one day. And he said, hey, man, I want to talk to you about this Navy SEAL thing. He says, look, I, you know, I applaud that. He goes, but, you know, he goes, look, a great naval. I never forget. This is what he said. I don't remember the rest of the conversation, but this is the line that I remember in my brain. This is 25, 30 years ago. He says, he goes, Andrew, look, he goes, a great naval officer, maybe, but a Navy SEAL. I mean, come on. And all he was trying to do was try to get me on a path that, that was maybe more, I don't know, reliable or plausible or, you know, he meant well. But I had, you know, and, you know, here's the thing, Rob. My internal dialogue is like, F you. Yeah. I was going to say, did that give you more motivation than actually discouragement? Yeah. For me, that type of stuff is like rocket fuel. Just tell me I can't. Now, I had, again, another little funny side story. I never told you this one. But my senior year, uh, or I guess I was in college, I worked as a bouncer at a at a at a uh, bar. (laughs) Again, 5'7", 155 pounds, but I was scrappy. Um, but there was this big bouncer there and this guy, and we were friends. He was cool. He, he knew I wanted to be a Navy SEAL. And he says to me one day, he says to me, he goes, he goes, oh, you know, you know, when you're going through all that training, he goes, you know, your muscles, you know, your body's going to build up all this lactic acid and, you know, you know, your, your muscles, he's like, he's pointing to his muscles that are large. <laughs> your muscles just aren't, you know, as big as mine. And so, you know, they're not going to really be able to absorb all that lactic acid. And he was like telling me like why I wasn't going to make it, but like someone like him probably could keep in mind, this guy wasn't a Navy SEAL. Keep in mind, this other guy I told him wasn't a Navy SEAL. I mean, I had people all over who were, who had no clue what they were talking about, That's who were crazy. not Navy SEALs telling me all the reasons why I could never be a Navy SEAL. Right. Well, it's probably a good thing they did tell you that because you you ended up doing it. You served our country. And you did well with it. So thank you again for that. And uh, thank you for showing the emotion too, Andrew, because uh, that's good. I, it was good to see and good to hear. I could feel it and you know see it. I could I could actually see the redness in your eyes on the screen here. So thank you for that. So in in the in the budge training, how long does the actual budge training last? And then I know there's a hell week, and I want to ask you about that. So how long is the yeah. training itself? Yeah. So. So the, and, and kind of weaving into something you'd asked me before, like, oh, what was day one? Like, what was I expecting? Like I had, I had mentally prepared myself. I had been waiting for this for so long. And I had had so many people tell me I could never do this. Like I was excited. I was on hallowed ground. This is, I was finally, it, it was go time. Right. So uh, the BUDS program is, is r- roughly six months broken up into three different phases. The first phase is it, the whole thing's really is a selection it's meant to see it's will more than skill. Like it's not there to teach, teach you how to like what we say, shoot, move and communicate, how to be a seal. It's more about weeding out. Right. Mm-hmm. And the first phase is purely physical. That's the stuff you see on the discovery channel. Then you go to second phase and that's what we call dive phase. And that's where you are starting to learn some skills, 
along with a lot of beatdowns and pain. I mean, they just, they take scuba diving and make it miserable, you know? <laughs> um, and then the third phase is, is all conducted, most, mostly conducted out at a place called San Clemente Island off the coast of California, uh, off the coast of kind of San Diego. And, and that's where we're learning, you know, some small unit tactics, explosives, how to do ambushes and raids. And it's a lot of sleep deprivation and learning how to like patrol and plan a little, little missions and stuff like that. But the BUDS program itself is about six months. And then once you graduate BUDS, then you go on to an advanced training program called SEAL qualification training. And then once you make it through that, then that, that advanced training, you are learning a lot more skills. The tone changes. It is more now refining and teaching skills to be a SEAL. And then you graduate that, and then you actually get assigned to a SEAL team. Okay. So after all that, you know, you're in a SEAL team and you have zero experience, right? <laughs> so uh, where does Hell Week fall in there? So Hell Week, and, and my understanding is it's, it's shifted around uh, over the years. Uh, and I don't, I don't know if it's the same today. But when right. I went through, it was week five. Week five. Um, it was week five of, of first phase. And, you know, that's where you lose, that's where you lose most, most guys. Uh, yeah. Hey, real quick side note. I, we do have something in common. I, at age 18, I was a buck 55 too. And I, and I was a bouncer right. for about three weeks. And did right. when I was underage and they, they bounced me out of the bar. <laughs> so See, we got something in common there. <laughs> whenever we had to throw somebody out, they didn't, they didn't expect, the guys didn't expect I was the bouncer. Right. So I would sneak in there and wrap up the legs. And then the other guys, <laughs> right? so that was sort of the, that was sort of the, yeah, and the guy's uh, dragging you by his leg. I can uh, say, I can appreciate that happened. That's great. They're like, who's this, what's going on on my leg? You know, I'm distracting them or wrapping around a leg. These guys are up there. That's so funny. So anyway, I had to share that. So anyway, uh, so now you're, now you're in hell week. Was there a time in that hell week that you think you were going to break? So I would tell you that the, my lowest moment, like through the whole thing, like the whole training, the whole experience, you know, you know, was, was about, about two, two and a half days into hell week. You okay. know, at this point, you're 48 plus hours with no sleep. So hell week, hell week is five days, about two and a half hours of sleep the whole week, uh, broken up into 30 minute naps. Jeez. You don't even get your first 30 minute nap until about two and a half, three days in. And so my lowest, lowest moment was about two and a half days in and you're just exhausted. You're drained physically. You know, your, your head's battered from the boats, rubbing your head raw. You got chafing on your legs, your hands, you know, the callus that have built up on your hands are, are tearing off as you're carrying boats and climbing ropes and doing pull-ups and just exhausted physically, mentally, emotionally drained. And so about two and a half days in to hell week, well, they feed, they do feed you a lot. You get like four meals because I mean, they do make sure you're getting enough calories and everything, right? They don't starve you or anything. Yeah. Um, so we, you end up getting this thing called mid rats. Mid rats is like midnight rations. So, you know, you got breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then midnight meal, mid rats. So mid rats happens around midnight. And in this case, it was like midnight, two and a half days in or so. And the instructors kind of, you know, lead us over to the obstacle course. And for the first time in about two and a half days, they actually left us alone. And it's surprising, but when they leave you alone, that's when there's actually some downtime. It's not downtime, it's a little quiet. You actually have some, all of a sudden you start hearing the voices in your head again, right? When they're all yelling and screaming and you're just going the whole time, you're kind of just going. You're just going until you can't and you guys quit. 
Well, now, now this becomes almost a psychological thing, right? Because they're not yelling at you. You're not having to run. They're like, okay, eat your meals. See ya. And they take off for about 20 minutes. And it's quiet. And guys quit. Because for the first time, you're sitting there alone in your own thoughts, thinking about how hard it is. Thinking about feeling the chafing, feeling your callus rip from your hands, hungry, and thinking about thinking about having to get back up underneath that boat or get back into that freezing cold water. And that's when it starts messing with you. Yeah, I can imagine. I guess it's like you're too busy and too hectic to even think about that. Now you just got that 20 minutes of downtime. That's when you start thinking about it. And I, I could I could totally understand that. And so uh so you so what brought you out of that down point? Well, so it's interesting. I, just to be transparent with you, that was my lowest moment. And for a moment, I really thought, man, I don't know if – I don't know if I can make it. Yeah. And and one of the tactics, you know, sort of kind of get through that stuff, and I would just say, you know, kind of for life, but, you know, is you know going through buzz and say, hey, just make it to the next meal. You know, if you, if you think about the whole week, if you think about the, the when you get secured at the end of Hell Week, or if you're thinking about – all the work you have to do, or if you're thinking about all this thing, it, it can be so overwhelming. Right. So you got to break it up into bite-sized pieces, you know, so one meal at a time is a great way to kind of get through buzz and kind of through life. So, you know, if you sit there in the quiet at that moment and you, if you allow your mind to wander and start thinking about how much more there is to do, that starts to seem so overwhelming. And then you start to think about just getting back in that cold water or getting underneath that boat, smashing on your head again. You know, um, it, it's overwhelming. And you think, gosh, I don't want to do that. And by the way, who wants to do that? Yeah, I don't want to do that. That's freaking miserable. And I remember I, a uh, guy I went through buds with, Leif Babin, uh, co-author of a great book called Extreme Ownership. Um, Love that book. Yeah. Yeah. So great book. He's a great friend of mine in this day. He and I went through buds together. He, in fact, he was my class OIC. So he got a little extra attention as the class leader. Um, but he's a tough guy. So, but he and I were, were good friends and we also share a common faith and uh, we, yeah, we're both Christians, you know, so we, um, he was, he was a, a boat crew boat just a few feet away and, and I, and he and I were good friends and we, we would read Bible verses together at times. And so I, I kind of crawled over to him, you know, without kind of being seen by an instructor. I was like, Hey bro, like, how are you doing? He's like, Oh man, it's miserable. Like, I'm like, I know me too. And he's like, how are you doing? And I go, man, I think I remember saying something to him like, man, I just don't know. Like, I don't know, you know, just like that, you know, and he and I had read a, a Bible verse prior to going into buds. And it was, um, from, it, it was, it, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And, um, oh, that was just like from Gideon, which he had, you know, and so he just, uh, he, that's all he said to me. Just, you know, it was like our, our little thing, you know, and he just goes, Hey, dude, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He's like, get back over there dude, before we get in trouble. You know, that was it. I scurried back over to my boat, kept eating my food. Structures came running up over the berm 10 minutes later, blowing the whistle. And, and then that was it. I never looked back. I mean, Rob, that was like my lowest moment ever. Like probably, I won't say it was my lowest moment in life. I've got, a, I've got one more that was worse than that. But other than that, that was my lowest moment, period. And it was like I bounced off of that. I mean, I was untouchable. After that, I mean, there was nothing they could do to me. There was nothing they could do. Nothing. So would you think the bounce was because of the encouragement, encouraging word you received? I just think that when you get to a certain point, an ultimate low, an ultimate low, 
and you push past that, dude, it's like, yeah. that's it. You, you can't do anything to me now. That's awesome, man. That is so cool. And thank you for sharing that. Fact, I... In fact, Rob, I'll just add this to you. Like, it was so distinct. I mean, this is 20 plus years ago. It was so distinct. I distinctly remember, I mean, I've literally felt basically invincible. Not like, an, not, in a, not in a hubristic, like, I just was like, dude, oh, you want me to get in the water again? No problem. That's oh, good. You, want me to, you want to stand with the boat on my head? No problem. Like, yeah. you, you cannot hurt me. And, and we would go in for these med checks, like, every so often. And I remember going in the med check, and they'd be like, how are you feeling? I'm like, I'm, like, I'm great. And I would go in with, like, a smile on my face. And I remember Captain Smethers, who was the commanding officer of, of BUDS at that time, I remember him saying to me at, at a med check, he goes, he goes, Vincent Paul, you guys got a smile on your face, huh? I'm like, <laughs> yes, sir. He goes, he goes, I remember he said this to me. He goes, he goes, we can't hurt you, can we? I go, no, sir. And it was, but it was after that moment. Yeah. The first 48-ish hours up to that was misery. Yeah. After that, untouchable. So two things. Did you have a solid, I know you said you're a Christian, you had the same faith. But did you have a solid Christian, solid religious or spiritual foundation going in? And had you had any mindset training prior to that? I mean, I don't know what kind of mindset training I would have had prior to that. Just, you know, I was an athlete. I ran cross country in high school. I played hockey, you know, played baseball. I mean, I, you know, I, I mean, not really like, I mean, just just determined, just very determined. Like, this is what I was going to do. Like, I felt called to it. Yeah. Now, you know, <clears throat> you know. I remember waiting, you know, to find out if I was going to get, you know, these orders. Right. So I got the orders to buds and I was just like, boom, it was like, I was on cloud nine. And then shortly after that, nine 11 happens. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, you know, nine 11 happens and, and all of a sudden the tone of everything changes. Right. I mean, prior to nine 11, it was like, Hey, I want to be a seal. I feel passionate. This is what I feel called to do. I'm, I'm, I'm preparing myself physically and mentally for the most brutal training ever, like that I've built this up in my mind to be. Then I, so I get the orders and then 9-11 happens. And so no longer, no longer was this like, hey, like this is going to be training. We're going to be, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. It was like, hey, we, I, we, me, my, we knew like if we made it through this, that we were going to war and everything we did matter. I mean, it mattered before, but now it was like, dude, like you're going to war, like Every detail matters. And I had friends that I went to college with who I graduated with who, who were killed in 9-11. Mm. And, you know, I thought about those, those guys. And, and my overall calling to serve, to go into the military, was always rooted in a deep sense that I was built a certain way. I was built with certain skills, certain mindsets, certain capabilities that I was made to go do difficult, hard things that maybe other people aren't cut out to do and that's yeah. okay but that's what i was meant to do that's how god made me with certain mental and physical fortitudes and capabilities to go into harm's way to take the fight to the enemy because there is evil in the world rob yeah and i saw it and we and 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 it, and it takes a certain person to be able to walk through the heart of darkness to go take the fight to that evil and that's what i was made to do yeah, thank you. And, and that's because you talked about the, the not having like legitimate or I shouldn't say legitimate, it's not the right word, but like actual mindset training. But any to any athlete, I, 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 you know, from I can speak, you know, 
from my own experience, but you have to have a certain mindset when you're in, in as sports because you have to be disciplined, you have to be determined, you have to be resilient to keep pushing and through that training to, to play a sport, to make a team. So you have to do that. So I can see where that came from. So you spent between the ROTC and the service, I think you told me you spent 18 years in? Yeah, the ROTC time doesn't count, but yeah, the um, active duty and reserve time was a total of 18 years of service. Okay. And so like you, when you did your first, I guess, call it tour, what was that? Four years, six years? You know, the, that term is, I guess, used different things. And we I, we kind of call them deployments. And okay. our deployments are, are, are six months. And the SEAL teams, you end up doing a, a workup, or, you know, so you, you, you train up. And, and it's generally designed to be a two-year cycle, like, like okay. an 18-month workup cycle and then a six-month deployment. And you're kind of on this sort of cycle. But that all changed after 9-11. Everything got compressed. And, and because we had to push forward more, more teams, more platoons, more units. So what was normally a, a two year sort of workup and deployment cycle started going a lot faster. So we started getting more time overseas and less time training so we could push more guys forward. Was there ever a call to make it a total career in this, in the armed services? So, yeah. So, I mean, somewhat, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Like I, that, I didn't really think of it like that. I mean, again, my, my calling was based on really on what I had just said, like it was to do a specific kind of a job that I felt, I felt God made me to do, yeah. you know? Um, and in the SEAL teams, after a certain number of deployments, like in a platoon or in a task unit, you rise through the ranks and then you take on a different role. It's more administrative in nature, right? Now you're, now you're in charge of the, the team, you know, now, now you're not going on missions. And, you know, if I'm going to be an administrator, I could be an administrator anywhere. You yeah. know, I, I don't know. It, that just isn't very appealing to me. So a lot of guys get out after doing, doing a few, when they're no longer what we might call operational. Yeah. You know? And now for me, it wasn't that clear cut. It wasn't like, I'm going to do my deployments and then I'm out. It was, I had two kids born on back-to-back deployments, had a couple harrowing deployments and, and tough experiences overseas. And it was, I had to make a tough decision really to stay, stay home for my family, my wife, my two young kids at the time, um, and to be there for them as opposed to um, staying in longer. So when you made that decision to, to, to leave and now you're staying home with the family, was there a pull like, man, I wish I would have stayed in. I wish. I oh, absolutely. In. Like I, yeah, I, my heart was pulled in two directions. Yeah. One in the sense of service and to do a job that I had felt called to do and was blessed and fortunate enough to be able to have got, you know, got to do that job. And then also my kids and my family. Like I also then felt an incredible sense as a father that I need to be there to raise these young boys to be men. And, yeah. and w- how do you prioritize that? And, and you might be able to do both, but I was feeling at that time that I needed to, I needed to be home. I, ne- I needed to be there to raise two boys to be the next generation of warriors. So now you're home, you're raising your kids. And then when you decided to get in the lending, I don't know if there's anything between the service and lending, but oh, you decided to get the lending. Dude, I was doing, I mean, I got off, I got out of a platoon and showed up in a mortgage office. Like, there you go. Like that's a whole nother story. Like this guy, like I kind of got me into the mortgage business. It wasn't at all what he said it was going to be. And I, so I got into the mortgage industry in 2007, Rob. I mean, <laughs> I did real estate long enough to know. Yeah, yeah. That was not good timing. Right? No, no, not at all. But mindset, it 
was good timing. And here's why I got into the business as the whole thing was crumbling. Right. But mortgage and real estate folks alike, it's not un not unlike what's happening right now. So this is really. Um, I don't know. This is a good point for even right now. Right. Like so. Here's what I saw when I just got into the business that we had just come off the heels of this amazing real estate time. People in mortgage and real estate were making a fortune. And then it all started coming crumbling down. Now, I was starting at the bottom. I had zero. I had no clients. I didn't know how to do anything, but I was hungry. And what was happening is everybody around me in mortgage and in real estate was singing a sob story. They were crying in their Wheaties because, oh, it's so hard now. And, oh, I can't get a deal. And while they were over there feeling sorry for themselves, I didn't know any different. I was just, I had my rucksack on and I was climbing up the mountain. While they were over there sitting there, you know, got their hands on their knees, winded, upset, frustrated, bad attitude, whatever. And I just started running circles around people because they were all, they were hoping it was going to come back or whatever. And I just was like, whatever, I don't. Here's what I know. Work hard, call people, do what I'm supposed to do. And I built my business in one of the most difficult mortgage and real estate times in history. Right? Exactly. And that's so how and, go, go, go ahead. And, and, and that that and so I'm reminding both myself and I know and I know that there will be people listening to this, you know, who we all know who may be in a tough spot right now. Look, I know a lot of mortgage people in bad spots, real estate agents don't, you know, have a tough time right now. A couple of things. I went to my first Buffini event in May of 2007. I was invited there by a real estate agent and a former Navy SEAL named Dwight Settle. And he took me to the event. He took me to the event because we were working on a deal together and we were working for a young Navy SEAL and they're buying their first home. And Dwight had gone to peak in uh, Hawaii. And he's like, hey, I'm going to be in Hawaii. If you need me, you can get a hold of me, right? I get a phone call from the client who says, hey, we're looking to write this offer, but the numbers don't quite seem right. And I could just tell something was off. And so I go, and I said to him, I said, well, what does Dwight say? And they said, oh, well, we couldn't get a hold of Dwight. And so, you know, we're just talking to the agent, you know, for the house that we walked into. And I was like, no, 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 no. I go, that agent's representing the seller. I go, call Dwight. He is going to advocate on your behalf. And he's going to tell you what, the right price to offer it is and what it's worth. Going to look at the comps. And I get a hold of Dwight. I'm like, Dwight, call him, whatever, you know, save the deal, whatever. So as a thank you, I had no idea what this was. He takes me to a turning point in May of 2007. And I can tell I don't know where my life and my business would be had he not brought me to that event. That's amazing. And, and for those who are listening, there's some people who won't know or don't understand some of the terms you use. You said peak, you said turning point. Oh, yeah. yeah. You said Buffini. So, uh, you know, a lot of the, the guests I interview are through this Buffini community, but there are about 25, 30% that are not. And so I've met Andrew through this community and uh, we we go to these two day events, Kurt called turning points and then they have like this really uh, higher level event called peak that we try we would go with someplace out of the continental united states and and do a two three day event so it was really intense stuff so i gotta ask you how how has the the, the seal training how did it or how has it carried over into your lending world and your life how's that carried over well, I alluded earlier, Rob, I said, you know, that lowest moment was, you know, in buds, but it wasn't the lowest. The lowest, lowest moment was in my transition. So, mm -hmm. you know, without getting into too much 
maybe detail, you know, I, my last deployment before I left active duty was a really tough deployment. And we lost several guys in my platoon and including uh, a guy by the name of Michael Monsoor, who was in my platoon. He jumped on a grenade and he mm. saved the lives of two other guys in my platoon. And he was awarded the medal of honor. And I was the one who knocked on his family's door and told him that he was dead. That's the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. Mm. So I find myself in a very difficult market, no longer around my brothers or in a job that I had trained for and wanted to do for as long as I could remember. I no longer had a steady two week paycheck or health benefits. I'm in a commission-based job trying to get kind of do alone. I don't know where my next deal's coming from. I've got houses that I had bought while I was on active duty on stated income loans. I had no idea what those were. <laughs> I'm struggling emotionally, financially, in my relationships, and I lost everything. Mm -hmm. I lost every house. I got divorced. I got to a point where I was lit. The house I was living in, my my ex-wife had you know moved out. We had 50-50 custody of my kids. There was no furniture in the house. My kids were sleeping on the floor in a house that's been foreclosed on. <clears throat> but there was such a glut of foreclosures back then that the banks were just, they didn't know what to do with them. So I just kind of stayed there, you know. And then finally, one day I came home and there was a note on the door from the sheriff, you know, said, hey, we're going to be here Tuesday. Don't be. <clears throat> right. I had no idea where I was going to go. And um, those were my lowest times. Mm. Take a I minute mean, there, bud. I mean, as a man to like not be able to provide mm. for your family, for your kids. And I never forget, I was sitting there, I was working on a loan for this pain in the neck client, just pain in the neck. And I got no other loans going on. So the one loan I got, you know, <laughs> so, and, uh, and I, and, and, and what's funny. So he's, he's shopping me between me and, and Wells Fargo. Right. So all of a sudden Wells Fargo says, Hey, well, we can't do your loan. Like, I don't know. They don't know what they're doing. You know, they're kind of not great at loans. So they kind of were like, Hey, we don't know how to do your loan, you know? And so he's, Oh, you know, Andrew, I'm glad I got you. I'm like, no problem. I go, well, he's like, well, how are you doing going to do my loan? You know? I'm like, well, but I can count this. I can move this over here. We're going to, you know, and, 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 and that's how we're going to, that's how I'm able to do it. Well, this son of a gun takes that strategy, goes back to the person at Wells Fargo mm -hmm. and they go, oh yeah, we could do that. And, and now, so boom, now he's like, so now he's grinding me on the rate and my fees and whatever, but, and he wants uh he wants scenarios on a 30 year loan, a 15 year loan, paying points, not paying points. 10% down, 20% down, lender paid mortgage insurance, borrower paid. I mean, it's like, that's like 12 scenarios, right? It's I'm exhausted. It's like 10 o'clock at night. I'm working on these scenarios and I look over and I see my kids sleeping on the floor. And I'm just saying, Rob, like I'm never going back there again in my life. And that is, you know, I thought about my kids. I thought about the sacrifices of the guys that I served with. And I'm going to tell you, like, I had some low moments emotionally. But what I thought about was the guys who were killed in my platoon heroically, who made the ultimate sacrifice for their brothers, 
and for our freedom. And the way I see it is, is that they gave me a gift, the gift of life. And I have an opportunity to live that life and a responsibility to live that life to its fullest. I owe that to them for the sacrifice that they make. And so I live my life just hoping that I live a life that is, you know, worthy of the sacrifices that they make. So I got to ask you, Andrew, through all this, and again, I appreciate that emotion and, and the heart. I could feel it. I could feel coming through the screen there. Where, where were you with God in those moments? So my faith journey, I, I found Christ for myself. Now, it's interesting, Rob. I was raised in both faiths. My dad was Jewish. My mom was Christian. And I actually had my bar mitzvah. Okay. 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 But he was... On my own in high school, I went and spent a summer with my uncle who, because I was into computers and he was a computer guy. And I went in and visited him, spent the summer with him and kind of shadowed him in his job. And he, and, and he went to this church and I, and, and that was, that was where I found Christ for myself. Not like, you know, your parents teach you about it. It right. was like, I found it for myself. And then in high in college, you know, I would go to church sometimes. And then to be honest, when I was in the Navy, I had my faith like spiritually, really? but I wasn't going to church and I was living like a 21 year old testosterone filled <laughs> male. Okay. <laughs> Partying and drinking and chasing girls and understood. <laughs> um, but it was after I got off active duty in 2007 that the master chief from my task unit who ended up living right around the corner from me, I think we all, I think we all from that task unit, I think we all struggled. I mean, some guys maybe won't admit it. Some guys will admit it. Some guys maybe are better at articulating it. But I, I know we all struggled. And he invited me to go to church with him. And that is where my faith really came back into my life again. So there was a gap there for like probably a good eight years. And then, and then kind of 07, I started going to this church and, um, yeah. And, and, and it's funny, that's, that is where for the first time in my life, you know, as I've told you, you know, I'm struggling to build this business, all this emotional stuff. I'm, I'm definitely struggling financially. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I'll never forget. I know it's a little off topic, but I never forget in that. I never forget this sermon. I, the pastor gave the sermon on tithing. Yeah. And I'll never forget. He goes, he goes, look, I, I, I'm not like great at quoting Bible verses. I think it's in Micah, but he says, he goes, he goes, he goes, it's actually in the Bible. He goes, this is the only place where you're allowed to test God. He actually says it. He says, <laughs> test me in this. As he goes, it's the Pepsi challenge of the Bible. Test me. <laughs> you know, other than that, you know, you don't test God. Right. But right here is the only place he goes, test me. Right. And, and, and you know, bring in 10% tithe. I said, okay, because tithing really, you know, all this stuff, tithing, forgiveness. I, I, I often will joke that it's it's like a trick that God played on us. It's like, it's like clothed is like tithe, like bring it to God or, or forgive people. Let me tell you something. It's, it's more about what that does for you. When you forgive somebody, oh yeah. they don't know you forgave them. You do more for yourself emotionally and psychologically when you forgive somebody than you do for them. Those guys are walking around like, Hey, dude, I forgive you. They're like, oh, okay. okay. Like, they don't no even know idea. you. Right. When you forgive somebody, it's more something you do. 
tithing, I swear it, it is it's an it is an act of faith. And I and I have tithed since that day. And I also I can tell you, I don't know how it works, Rob, but the day I started tithing, I watched my income and my net worth just go like that. Yeah, I just got chills. I mean, I, you said you went off topic. I think it was great that you pointed that out. And, and I, I appreciate that so much. I mean, you said it's an act of faith. And you're not the first person I said, who I've heard say, I don't know how it works. But ever since then, this has changed. And so that's a commitment. It's faith. And you, you're taking that action. I love that, man. I love I tell you, I love this conversation, man. I'm sitting here and all just listening to you. We've had other conversations. And I'm like, man, I don't know if I want to ask many more questions. Let them keep rolling, man. This is great. But, uh, man, thank you so much, Andrew. It's, you're a blessing. You're a blessing to me. You're a blessing to so many other people. I mean, I got to ask. I always say that. I got to ask. You know, how much more chiseling do you think God's going on for you, man? This is you got oh, man. a hell of a life. I got, I got, I got a long way to go. Uh, you know, just ask my wife. I promise you. <laughs> ask um, those closest to us. They'll tell you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, I got a lot left to do here, man. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm trying to get better every day. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm messed up up all the time. I say things I don't mean to say. I let my emotions get the better of me. I mean, that's, that's right. You know, I'm trying to be, I, so I'm um, so I'm almost finished with this book. Um, it's kind of a cool book written by former Navy SEAL. It's called The Attributes. Okay, I'm about finished with it. Um, and and one of the things in that book, in this book that I've, I've helped me identify different traits, like about myself that are, are strengths, whatever. Like I am extremely persistent. See, he does a really good job of breaking down these different traits, like uh, or or skills and abilities, but but really there's there's attributes. So. Like I'm persistence is like a cousin to patience, but it's not the same thing. And and, and what made me bring that up is oh well, what, what more work here? I, I am extremely persistent. I have got grit and fight. I am not very patient. But those are similar kind of things. Yeah. But they're not the same. I'm persistent, but not very patient, to be totally honest with you. Right. And I gotta work on that. I gotta work on I gotta work on being more patient. Well, man, we're all a work in progress. And I don't know if people you know, listening could tell, but he's a very polished speaker as well. And Andrew's got some things going on here. He's going to get out on the speaking circuit. And he's done some. He's done a lot. But I, I think there's intent there to do a lot more and inspire a heck of a lot more people and uh, move them in the right direction. Is that right, buddy? Yeah, I, I would I would say this, Rob. You know, what more what more is there along those lines? You know, like in Boy Scouts, you know, you go leave it, leave it, leave the campsite better than when you found it. Um, leave this world a better place than when you found it. I think every person that we interact with, we have an opportunity to uh, impact them in some way, and and that doesn't have to be from a stage to five thousand people. That can be one person at a time. It could be it could be the postal clerk. It could be, you know, it could be the person at the drive-through. It could be your kids. You know, my dad always says charity begins at home. I mean, like sometimes we're all so busy out trying to impact the world. And what about what about your kids and your family and your your spouse? You know, I think that if I can just, um, I you know, I hope that what I do leaves an impact on people so that, that they can be better in some way as a result of my interaction with them. 
I think you're already doing it, my friend. You're already doing it. You know, so Andrew, and real quick, so he's a lender. He does a lot of loans for vets. You know, he's taking that niche right there, or some people would say niche. I'm a niche guy. Anyway. <laughs> so Andrew, if anybody wanted to get a hold of you, whether it's to have you out there to speak, motivate, inspire, or if it's for a loan for, for a vet or any other kind of loan, how would they get a hold of you? I mean, my email's great. Team Andrew at benchmark.us or call my cell phone. I don't care. You know, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, my email, um, also my website, it's like the veteran advocate.com. Okay. My contact info there. If you want to social interwebs, you know, Facebook, Instagram. There you go. If you would repeat your phone number, because I, I, I was speaking over you when you did that. Yeah. 619-964-9404. And, uh, and like you mentioned, like I, my primary vocation is VA loans because I want to help my fellow veterans. And there's just so much misinformation out there on the VA program, both in the real estate world and in the veteran world. And it's a shame that a lot of times veterans either don't know how to take advantage or maximize their benefit. And then on the other side, a lot of agents out there have these misconceptions. And so they, they either won't look at or consider a veteran's offer because they've got wrong information about the VA program. And that's, that's, that's my passion now is, is, is helping people better understand the VA home loan program so that veterans can build wealth through homeownership. And I know you do a good job at that too, because we've done a couple of deals together. So good yeah. stuff, buddy. Hey, look, man, I, I know it's kind of, it's time to wrap up here and I am so honored. I, I'm moved by you. I've learned some stuff I didn't know about you today. And I'm excited to, to air this thing live and, and have you inspire and pack people that, uh, that listen to it, man. So Andrew, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, I, I feel privileged. I could, I could go on forever here, but we got to run. So thank you, everybody. Thank you, Andrew. And uh, till next time, everybody, let's go get chiseled. Thanks, Rob. You just got chiseled with Rob Comodari. Be sure to like this podcast, share it with your friends, and subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Also, you can find Rob's book on Amazon.